Last week, last week we did Job 4, 5, 6, and 7. Tonight we're going to do Job 8, 9, and 10. Now, if you remember correctly, the book of Job here, in the middle of this, is this long intersection of 35 chapters of Job and his three friends, and there's one guy that pops in at the end, debating life. And as we mentioned last week, imagine in your deepest, darkest times of pain and sorrow and questioning of God, imagine if your thoughts were recorded. That's what you see here for Job. Imagine those long, drawn-out conversations that you and your spouse have had, or maybe you and your friends, where you debate every aspect of everything. Imagine if that was recorded. So what you see here is the honesty of this being recorded. It doesn't mean what they're saying is theologically true. The Bible records the good, the bad, and the ugly of what people say. And you see a lot of man's opinions in this. So last week, we were introduced to a man by the name of Eliphaz, and he gave his ideas to Job. And he basically said to Job, hey, the reason you're suffering, you have some type of sin in your life. Just repent, and you'll be fine. Well, Job, that didn't really go over real well with him. So guess what happens tonight? Tonight, we're introduced to another guy by the name of Bildad. Bildad shows up, and guess what Bildad says? Hey, Job, just repent, and everything will be fine. Well, that doesn't go over real Job, well, with Job again. So let's see what Bildad has to say here. Verse 1, Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, Now, we don't know a lot about Bildad the Shuite. He's only mentioned here in the book of Job. The one thing we do know about Bildad, he was not very tall. He was only Shuhite. Okay, just for the record, Ryan, please stand up. That was Ryan Powell's joke. He says, you need to try that out. I said, I will try it because I love Ryan. So, for the record, it didn't go over real well. I thought it was kind of funny there. So, Bill Dad, the shoe height. He wasn't real tall. He was only shoe height. Now, the thing is, when you do that joke again, you have to make sure you give Ryan credit for that, please. So, Bill Dad, the shoe height, answered and said, How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgressions. Now, just stop right there real quick. Verse 4. That, them are fighting words right there. You know what he's saying? Bildad is saying, listen, your son's obviously messed up. That's why they're dead. Think about that. This is, this is Job, an immense emotional, spiritual, and physical toil and trouble. His family, he's lost all his kids. He's lost everything. And then his friend shows up and says, hey, in verse 4, you know what? If your son sinned against God, obviously God cast them away for their sin. Job, you got sin. You're just not dealing with it. This is why all these things are happening. Job, if you would just seek God, verse 5, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Imagine that. Imagine you're in the hospital. Imagine you just got this awful diagnosis. You're in the worst physical pain of your life. It does not look good. It's very dark. You're struggling emotionally, spiritually, physically. Your friends come in and say, you know what? We've talked about it and we've just come to the conclusion that you have unconfessed sin in your life. And if you would just earnestly seek God better, all this could be away from you. Boy, that's tough to hear. And this is what Job's friends keep saying. Obviously, you've sinned. Your boys are dead. Obviously, if you really would seek God, if you would really seek God, Job, this would all do fine. Because look at verse 6. If you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. Job, if you do good, God will do good to you. Aren't you glad that that's not how the system works? Can you imagine if that really was how the system worked? Lord, I do good, so then God does good to me. So therefore, if I do bad, well, then bad things happen to me. 
Now, some people hear that and they say, I don't think that's really a bad system. That's a very fair system. Okay, here's the problem. What is your definition of good? See, my definition of good may be different than your definition of good. Well, maybe it's good for me. You know, I've never cheated on my wife. And so, therefore, just because I look at things online, I'm still good. I'm better than them. I mean, I don't really go out and get drunk all the time just every now and then. So, my good is better than those people that do that. I mean, I cheat on my taxes a little bit, but not a lot. So, my good is better than them. What is your definition of good? See, the problem is God has set a definition of good here. And that standard definition of good is found in Matthew 5.48, which is be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So God's standard of good is perfection. God's standard of good is that you live as a man on this earth for 33 years and you never sin, just like Jesus Christ. Okay, I can't do that definition of good. So automatically, I'm not doing good. So just remember this point. Aren't you glad that's not the system? The problem is we still kind of think this, don't we? If I would just read more, if I would just pray more, if I would just serve more, if I would just witness more, then good things should happen to me. God would owe me. The Bible says God is a debtor to no man. Can you imagine once again if the God you served could be buttered up that way? If you really just wanted something good from God, hey, I'm just going to read the whole book of Jeremiah tonight. He has to give me a good day tomorrow. Lord, I'm going to pray for three hours tonight. You have to give me a good day. Can you imagine if your God could be buttered up that way? That's not a God you'd want to serve. He is a fair God. He is a just God. And there's no amount of reading or praying or witnessing that's going to make him, make him, owe you something of good. So why does he do good to us? Just reading in Matthew 7, basically, he's your father. He loves you. He wants to do good to you. He wants to bless you. I've shared this story with you many, many times before. It was, I was a young Christian. I'd only been walking with the Lord about six, seven months. I just had a weekend of just utter not good, just not spiritual, not focused on the Lord, did a lot of stupid things, and I went back into school that following day, and I remember I went into Mr. Crager's classroom, and I said to him, I said, why does God bless me even though I'm not doing what's good? And I remember him saying, he doesn't bless you because you're what you did. He blesses you because he loves you. And boy, and I thought, amen, because I did not deserve any blessing and God was still blessing me. So what Bill Dad is saying right here in verse 6, you know what, if you're pure and upright, God would prosper you. Aren't you glad that that's not the way the system works? God blesses you and takes care of you because he is your heavenly father and he loves you and he wants to meet your needs. It's not that my kids come to me and I say, you know what, you're good enough today to earn supper. You get supper. You were good enough today to get clean clothes. You get clean clothes. I love you. The Lord takes care of us that way as well. What else does Bildad have to say here in his infinite wisdom? Verse 11, can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? Well, it's yet green and not cut down. It withers before any other plant. Basically, the way the system works is for plants to grow good and strong, they need to be taken care of and planted properly. So, Job, obviously you're not growing good and strong yeah, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not doing good with the Lord. Look at verse 13. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. Okay, verse 4, your children have died because you sinned, Job. Verse 13, you've obviously forgotten God. And verse 13, you're obviously a hypocrite. This is Bildad's wonderful words of encouragement. Job, if you were doing better... Everything would be going 
better. But it's not. Now, concerning the things that wither away, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. Well, it's my, probably my favorite psalm, Psalm 1, really easy to remember. Psalm 1 makes it abundantly clear that when you plant yourself in the Lord and you plant yourself in His Word, the Bible says you will prosper. Now, just like we asked earlier, what's your definition of good? Well, what's your definition of prosper? I've seen a lot of pastors on TV that told me what their definition of prosper is. It's health, wealth, and fame. That's not my definition of prosper. My definition of prosper is, Lord, I just want to be whatever you've called me to be, and whatever that is, I just want it, and I'll prosper in you, Lord. We've got to be careful when we start defining our terms of prospering. Remember, we always use this example. John the Baptist, according to Jesus himself, was the greatest human that ever lived. John the Baptist. He ate locusts with honey and walked around in camel's hair. He lived out in the wilderness. I don't think that was the definition of prospering. According to Jesus, he was the greatest man that ever lived. So what is God's definition of prospering? For you, it may be different than me. I don't know. But to prosper, it's planted in God's word. It's planted where he has called you to be. And what a blessing that is. Please don't go chasing after God. The Bible makes it clear in the book of James, you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Plant yourself near him, plant yourself in his word, and you will prosper in the Lord. And what an absolute blessing that that is. Bildad's last great point here, verse 19. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. So God will not cast away the blameless, Job. So therefore, obviously you have sinned, because God has cast you away. So Bildad's great points, your children have passed away because you've sinned. If you'd really seek God, he would take care of you. You know, obviously you're a hypocrite, Job. Obviously you forgot the paths of God. And verse 20, obviously you're not upright and blameless. Now, that's Bildad. Job's going to respond here for a couple chapters. You can assume it doesn't go real good. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments about what Bildad have to say before we move on? Kathy? Sounds a little, like Sounds a little bit like karma. Well, we, we do let karma creep in. We do. And, you know, and I've shared with you before, honestly, that it was many years of walking with the Lord before it really hit me. It really hit me about the whole idea of why do I do what I do? I mean, I, I knew when I got saved that I was saved by grace and by grace alone. I knew that, not of works lest any man should boast. I knew that. But for a few years after I got saved, in the back of my mind, it just made sense. I read more. God's happier with me. Things go better. I pray more. God's happier with me. Things go better. It just it's made sense. And I remember just the longer I study the Bible, and the more you study some of these characters in the Bible, God blessed some of these people, and they sure didn't deserve it. And you start realizing that's the beauty of grace, is God just loves you. And you, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. What a beautiful picture of grace that is. But yeah, that idea of karma kind of sneaks back in every now and then a little bit. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? That was Bildad. Well, Job's response, verse 1, Job answered and said, Truly, I know it is so. Well, that's an interesting thing. Job says, you know what? You're kind of right, but, verse 2, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. So, Bildad, how am I supposed to talk to God about this? How do I plead my case before God? How do I go to God to try to make this right? 
You know, it's not like, and he goes on here for a few verses to say, what am I supposed to do? He's God. He makes the pillars tremble. He shakes the earth, verse 6. He separates the heaven, verse 8. He's put the stars in the sky, verse 9. The bear, the Orion, the Pleiades. He's done all this. I'm, I'm just supposed to just say, God, okay, I want to sit down and talk to you about this? I, I can't do that, Bill, Dad. Verse 14. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? How am I supposed to have a conversation with God to really figure out what's going on? And so what, how does he sum it up? Verse 16. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe he was listening to my voice, for he crushes me with the tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. How many times have we ever thought that in our life? I don't know how many times over the years I've had somebody say, well, obviously God's just out to get me. Obviously I've done something to make him angry. I've had people say, I don't know why it is, but obviously God doesn't want me to be happy. Haven't we ever had that idea, verse 17? Do you feel like God is crushing you like a tempest? He's multiplying your wounds without cause. Verse 18 does not allow you to catch your breath, and he's filled you with all bitterness. There's an amazing thing, and I heard a pastor say this one time, and I never forgot it. They said, just what's the first word that comes to your mind when somebody mentions God? And that really describes a lot of what your relationship with the Lord is, that first word. So often we picture God as the angry neighbor that lives upstairs. He's like pounding on the floor telling us to be quiet, you know? That's, that's not the picture of God. And when I hear people in the world come to me and start saying, How, why would you want to serve a God that does this and this and this and this? And my response is, well, I wouldn't want to serve that God either. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says my God's like. But the problem is we have convinced ourselves sometimes that God's just crushing me. He doesn't like me. I can't even catch my breath. And he's filled me with all bitterness. Now listen, that's not of the Lord. You know that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's human understanding. That's what we think when we get all worked up and when we get all emotional. And in the midst of emotion, we don't say things that are usually very spiritual. In the midst of emotion, I say things that I usually regret as it's even coming out of my mouth. Dawn and I were talking about something the other day, and we were not seeing eye to eye on it. And so I said something, and I realized as it's coming out of my mouth, don't say it. Still said it. <sighs> Bothered me. Felt convicted. I said it in the midst of emotion. I should go back to her and tell her I'm sorry. Seven hours later, I was getting ready to go to bed, and I wanted to sleep well. So I went and put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, do you remember seven, eight hours ago when I said that? Yeah, I'm sorry, I kind of put that out of proportion. It only took me eight hours to feel convicted. That's not bad for me. But how often do we, in the midst of emotions, say things, and they're just awful, nasty things? You know, if we would fast forward and we would jump ahead 20 years in Job's life and come back and say, Hey, Job, 20 years ago when you lost everything, everything. Now looking back, do you really feel verse uh, 17 that God was trying to crush you? Do you really feel in verse 18 that he was not allowing you to catch your breath? He filled you with all bitterness. At the moment, that's what we feel. And this is why it's so vital, guys, so vital. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. There's no other foundation than you can lay other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. Your foundation has to be Christ. If your foundation is not Christ, you are going to be what I call a roller coaster Christian. 
Some days God is amazing and wonderful and amen. Now you're back to Job moment. Oh, he hates me. Oh, nope, now I love him. Nope, now he hates me. Man, we got to get off that ride. The foundation of Christ says that God is good. God does good. God loves me. He will never allow harm into my life. And if something happens to my life that I deem as harm, God is going to use it for good. I don't have to live in Job. But so often we plant ourselves in Job and we don't leave. Job says in verse 32, He is not a man as I am that I may answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job says, I can't do anything about this. I can't take him to court. I can't talk to him. There's no go-between. There's nothing. So how does he sum it up? Verse 10, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 10. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. What he basically says in verse 1, I am just going to complain. That's what he says. I hate my life. And I'm going to give free course to my complaint, and I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. There's no filter anymore. I'm just going to say what I want. I'm going to do what I want. And basically, Job sums it up in chapter 10 by saying, verse 18, Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and had no eye had seen me. Why can't I just die? But right back to Job chapter 3 again. Why can't I just die? Verse 8, You've made me. Your hands have made me and fashioned me in intricate unity. He's got this great description of how God made him. Verse 11, clothed me with skin and flesh, knit me together with the bones and sinews. Verse 12, you have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. Those are some pretty neat verses on just the idea of God as the creator of life. And life is from God. But snuck in the middle of that, verse 9, Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay and you will turn me into dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? So basically what Job is saying is, you basically made me to just destroy me. Job's convinced himself of that. You have created me just to destroy me. I'm just a cup of milk that you've dumped out on the ground. I have been curdled, pounded like cheese. I have just pounded back into dust. How many times have we gone down that line of basically God is just out to get me? So what does Job say? Verse 20. Are not my days few? Cease. Leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I should not return. Job basically is pleading with God. God, just stop. Let me have a little comfort here before I die. Now, I told you I would tell you this every week for the next 17 weeks. Job doesn't know what's going on. We know. We have Job 1 and 2. He doesn't. So in the midst of darkness... He doesn't know what's going on. I tell you, if you ever run into somebody and you're ministering to them and their world is completely falling apart, they always want to ask why. I have learned over the years I can't answer why questions. I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why that person got the diagnosis and that other person didn't. I don't know why that child died and that one didn't. I don't know why that person got their job and the other one lost. I don't know why. And what happens is, when we get into these moments, I've talked to many people before that were in Job moments. Job moments. And the world is just falling apart. I I remember years ago, there there was a guy that called me up. Marriage is falling apart. Life is falling apart. So he called me up, and you could just tell it was the end of the world for him. And he, he had a pair of scissors, he said. And he was just taking these scissors, and he was just stabbing his Bible. Just again and again, you could hear in the background, just ripping it up and cutting it up. He was so angry at God. He was just so angry at everything. And at the moment, I'm thinking, what what am I going to do? You know? What am I going to do? 
Dawn was gone doing something, so I was home alone with all five kids. And I got this guy stabbing his Bible over the phone. So, you know, the Lord said, I said, go to Psalm 40. So he went to Psalm 40. And I said, just start reading it. Read it out loud. And so he read it out loud. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. I said, read it again. And I just had him keep rereading it and rereading it and rereading it out loud. By the end of the conversation, he had calmed down. By the end of the conversation, peace had come back in. Now, that's not because of my words. It's not because of anything I did. It's because of the power of God and the power of God's word. God's word doesn't return void. I'm just going to tell you a little hint I have learned over the years. When you're talking to someone that's in that end of the world Job moment, there's nothing your words can do to bring them down. When I say bring them down, I mean bring them off the ledge. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. You don't have the power to talk peace into someone's life. You don't have the power to speak joy into them. You don't. God's word does. Jesus Christ in you can. You give them scripture. You point them back to the Lord. That's all you can do. So if you're in a Job moment right now, in the word, just like we were talking about earlier, Psalm 1, plant yourself by the water and you will be fruitful. You'll be prosperous. If you know someone who's in a Job moment and you're like, I don't even know what to say to them, keep giving them scripture. God's word doesn't return void. Job had reached a point here in chapter 10 again of why am I even alive? I don't care. I just want to die. I just want to die. Now, I've told you before, there's no happy moment to end here. So we're going to stop right there. How's that for encouraging? But I told you every week when we go through Job, I want to do something at the end that gets our mind back to where it's supposed to be. There's two things I want to do here. First one, go back to chapter 9. Look at verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us. Aren't you glad that verse 33 is not true? If you're a note taker, 1 Timothy 2.5, what does it say? There is one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that Job is basically saying in despair, verse 33, there's no go-between between me and the Lord. If somebody comes up and says that now, I can say, hey, that statement's not true. You do have a go-between, and his name is Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, there's two verses I want to give you. First one is John 2, verse 1. John 2, verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus is an advocate for us. In the original Greek, that means defense attorney. Jesus is at your side with you all the time. He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So there's always a go-between now between us and heaven and between us and God the Father. And because of what Christ did, according to Hebrews 4, verse 6, I can boldly go to the throne room of God any time I want. I can go talk to my Heavenly Father because of what Christ did for me. Job is going to go on here for chapter after chapter after chapter. He can't talk to him. But eventually, eventually, we see the system played out and we have the mediator here with Christ. Yeah, Jody. So this was Old Testament. Yes. Job would have only known at this time that there was going to be a redeemer for his sins. That comes up in Job, I believe, 19, that they know that there is going to be a... um, 
uh, a redeemer coming for his sins, and I believe that's in Job 19. But back during this time of Job, most people believe that this predates the law. They would not have even had uh, Yom Kippur where they could go in once a year. So his interactions with God would have been through him building an altar himself, like Abraham did and Jacob did, and through him offering sacrifices on his altar. That's the only way he could have had that connection with God. It was kind of true at this point to an extent. It was kind of true. Now, this doesn't mean he still can't talk to the Lord. It's kind of interesting. Someone brought this point up um, when I was reading through this, that here we are ten chapters into Job. Ten chapters into Job. And Job never once yet has asked the Lord for healing. Have you realized that? If I was covered in boils from head to toe, I'd be like, hey, guys, could you pray for me for healing? God, could you heal me? Job never once has even gone to the Lord. Now, he's complained a lot about God. He's cursed the day of his birth. He's expressed a lot of opinions, but he really never has once yet gone and built the altar and said, Lord, I want to try to contact you as best as I can through the Old Testament system here. So, yes, there was contact between God and the Old Testament. Once again, if you look at Abraham and Jacob, they built the altars. They did their own type of sacrifices. It wasn't like what we have today. But there is a mediator that we have today, and that's the beauty and the blessing of this. And that is what's so amazing is that we can boldly go to the throne room of the Lord. I love this example. I remember seeing this picture as a kid, um, this idea of, remember, JFK Jr. sitting under his dad's desk when uh, Kennedy was president. Now, JFK Jr. is underneath the president's desk. If I would try to go sit under the president's desk, I don't think that would go over real well. I think I'd probably get arrested. But JFK Jr. can. Why? Because that's dad. He can just go sit under dad's desk. And that's the access that we can have now. If I'm bothered by something, if I'm concerned about something, I can just go right to the Lord. I can boldly, the Bible says, go right to the Lord through what Jesus Christ has done. I have a mediator now that can take me right to God. Right to God, to the throne room of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, because he is my defense attorney. And what a beautiful blessing that is. Here's the problem. Don't we forget about that in the midst of pain and turmoil? We do. We forget in the midst of pain and turmoil, Lord, I can just talk to you just like this. I can ask you, beg you, plead you for comfort and peace and guidance. I can do that. But what happens is in the midst of pain and darkness, we have a tendency just to let the darkness rule. Look at Job 10, verse 21. Before I go to the place from which I shall not return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death, without any order, where even the light is like darkness. Yeah, I think Job's in a pretty dark spot right now. We have darkness, we have dark, we have darkness again, we have dark again, we have darkness again, and we also have two shadows of death. Okay, that's how we feel sometimes. Sometimes in the midst of that darkness, we don't feel like praying, we don't feel like getting in the Bible. Once again, aren't you glad your relationship with Christ isn't based on feelings? Just like that guy that called me on the phone. He didn't feel like praying. He didn't feel like reading the Bible. He was so angry at God, he felt like cutting it up. But once you just get into the Word, and you just read that, it's like, okay, Lord, you want to bring me out of this horrible pit. Oh, man, Lord, you are there for me. Even in the midst of darkness, you are there for me through the mediator, which is Christ Jesus. Anybody else have any final things here before we go on? Okay. Go with me to Psalm 121. I've been trying to finish up with a a psalm that is an encouragement Because if we just focus on Job, we're all going to walk away pretty depressed and discouraged. So what happens 
When I'm in the darkness or I know someone who's in the darkness, how about Psalm 121? I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Boy, that's a good refrigerator psalm. Okay, let's just be completely honest, okay? Some people struggle with darkness more than others. They do. And if you are one of those people that you find yourself really easily getting into Job moments, okay, you've you got to start memorizing these passages like Psalm 121 because you have to realize the power of God's Word. Husbands, wives, if your spouse has a tendency to get into some Job moments pretty easy, you can't talk them out of it. You can't pull them out of the pit. You can only encourage them to go back to the mediator, Jesus Christ, where they can get help and strength. You can only encourage them to get into the Word. I don't know how many times out here at church I run into a spouse whose husband or wife has a tendency to get into the darkness of Job pretty easily. And it brings down everybody. Okay, Encourage them in prayer. Encourage them in the fasting. Encourage them in God's Word. And just be honest with yourself. Really be honest. If you find yourself that you can get knocked down pretty flat and get thrown into a pretty pit pretty easy... Okay, the Psalm 121s of this world, the Psalm 40s of this world. Lord, I see this. This is my weakness. This is a battle for me. I can get discouraged quickly. I can let little things become big things. The next thing you know, I'm giving up like Job. Lord, help me. Help me to stay focused on you, to stay focused on your word, and just be like Psalm 1. Plant myself by the waters, and then I'll prosper in the Lord. Be honest with yourself concerning that. And if you're not that type of personality, but you know people that are... Pray for them, because there are personalities that it's really easy for them to get tripped into that pit pretty quick, pretty quick. Have anybody here have anything here they want to say before we close up? Okay. What I want to finish with tonight is communion. I thought this would be a good time for us just to stop and really say, okay, we're getting into the heart and soul here of Job, this darkness. I mean, this guy is saying, I just want to die. Why was I even born? God just is trying to crush me. Maybe you came in here tonight... And it has been a tough week. Maybe it's been a tough month, a tough year. Just let the comfort of the Lord be with you tonight with communion. We're not going to have a time of prayer after church tonight because we're going to finish with this. This is our time just to take these things to the Lord. Just a couple passages I want to share with you. Corinthians tells us that whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a time to examine ourselves. Lord, what areas am I weak in? What areas do I need to be prayed up for? This is the time to take it to the Lord. I've mentioned to you before, I heard a pastor say that communion is the closest we can ever get to the cross to fully understand what he went through. Communion is so important that Jesus said, I'm not going to partake of this again until he can partake of it with us. So let's examine ourselves. Psalm 139 says, Search me and try me, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me, then lead me in the way of everlasting. This is our time to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what needs worked on? Confess those things to him. Allow the Spirit to minister to you 
And then be encouraged that you have a heavenly Father who loves you and wants to help you. He's not here to reproach you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to help you. What did we just read in Psalm 121? Where does the help come from? It comes from the Lord. And that's what he wants to be, is just our God of help. And what a blessing that is. Now, now you know out here that we have something called an open communion policy. We don't have church membership. It's open to anybody who's part of the body of Christ. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then we want you to partake of communion. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation, just like we talked about. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's the only way to get to heaven. We have sin that must be dealt with, and Jesus is the only one that can. He has set the bar for us. He has said, I will take care of this for you. He goes, accept that, believe that, live that. And that's where salvation comes from. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to partake of communion, we examine ourselves now. We come to you just as your word says in Psalm 139, search us and try us. Lord, what are those areas we're failing in? What are those areas we're weak in? Oh, Lord, be with us. You want to be our God of help and strength and refuge and comfort. And I pray for that. I pray for healing for those that need healing. I pray for marriages to be restored that need restored. I pray for deeper, stronger walks for those that desire it. Lord, I pray that we would be a light and a witness that wherever we work, go to school or live, that we would live for you, Lord, and all that we do and say. Be a difference maker through you. And as we come to you quietly now, we give you our hearts and we pray that you would speak directly to us through your spirit on what you want us to work on, Lord, as we confess to you. Let's go to him quietly. Lord, just right now, the word just keeps coming back to my mind and heart. It's just the word help. Just help us. Help us to be the people you've called us to be, to be the men and women, the husbands and wives, the dads, the moms, the grandparents, the friends, you name it, Lord. Just help us to be the people you've called us to be through you. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. In your name, amen. The guys that are